Hey, PRSA members. Welcome to the Precision Podcast, the professional development podcast brought to you by PRSSA. I'm your host, Joe Denae, the 2019-2020 VP of Professional Development. This month, we'll be looking at ethics and how you, as a future PR rock star, can uphold the PRSA Code of Ethics early in your career. Joining me today are members of the PRSA Board of Ethics and Professional Standards, or BEST for short. Grab a cup of coffee, a notepad, and enjoy the show. Hey, PRSA members. Before we get started, we wanted to give a shout out to our amazing partners on this podcast. The Board of Ethics and Professional Standards advocate and uphold our industry's ethical principles and support all PRSA and PRSSA members. If you have questions or want to learn more about BEPS work, head over to prsa.org backslash ethics. Again, that is prsa.org backslash ethics. Now back to the show with my first guest, BJ Whitman. Hey, my name is BJ Whitman, APR, fellow PRSA, chair of the Board of Ethics and Professional Standards. I've been a PR member for over 30 years and uh, have worked with students within my career in an internship basis, about 350 students. Well, BJ, thank you for joining me today on the Precision Podcast. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about ethics, um, your involvement, um, some of the things that you're you've accomplished in your career, um, what the BEPS board is going to be doing and how students can take advantage of the code of ethics and what they can put in place. Um, I'd love it if you give members a little bit of an overview of, of your role at BEPS and the work that you're doing this year. Well, BEPS um, primary goal, it, well, let me put it this, but BEPS is a, the board of ethics and professional standards. Um, and their primary goal is to educate and inspire the PRSA membership, the 21,000 members, and keeping ethics top of mind very much of what you're trying to do with PRSSA. Um, So why don't we start off just by talking about the Code of Ethics. Um, What should PR students be taking away from the code and how they can implement it into their student-run firms, their their classroom settings, their, their peer relationships, and their first jobs? The Code of Ethics, I think, um, uh, really your individual code of ethics, which is something I think we should try and develop on a daily basis, um, is something that your mom and dad taught you. And the PRSA code of ethics is really just an extension of that, the value and the provisions that they, they, that they outline. The biggest thing about ethics is really um, being willing to have a dialogue about it. Many people are... Um, not afraid, but uh, have a little bit of trepidation about talking about honesty and fairness and uh, the general values and provisions of code of ethics. And you don't like to make judgments on individuals and people, but it's also a, a way of being able to keep uh, business honest and keep everybody honest to make sure that you are actually trying to achieve your objective. So as a PRSSA member, I... I look at the PRS essay code of ethics, go on the website, and it can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, I, I look at it and say, what, what can I do with all of these? What can I bring to the table as a new member, as a new professional that, that doesn't have any work experience? How can I keep my coworkers accountable and keep business running ethically? Well, I think that um, thinking ethically on a daily basis, which is, you know, a, it's a willful 
or willful action and thinking ethically is very important. I think participating in everything that PRFSA offers on uh, and ethical courses, for example, even though I have 34 years of, of public relations experience, you know, I'm attending all of the PRSA ethics courses that are being offered this month during ethics month. In fact, we just had a really, really good one called PR ethics, um, take it personally. And it was, um, presented by Alabama chapter on it, the efforts of trying to make ethics a relevant every day of your life. And you can actually go online in the prsa.org site, and this webinar is now online for you to, to view. But they took it from start to finish in trying to figure out how do we get our members to think ethically every day. And it also provides all of the materials, uh, research that they did ahead of time, and they were able to actually increase the APR accreditation and membership into the chapter a result of this effort. And it was a, a complete program. So, you know, webinars like that or educational opportunities, for example, Joe, that you're putting together just helps build awareness. And it's the foundation that you want to establish. And it's also wanted from a personal goal, you really want to establish whether or not that's going to be one of your pillars in your, in your, your professional career, ethics as a foundation. I think you made two really great points there. One that, PRSA has all these resources available to not just professionals, but students as well to learn and practice ethics every day. Um, and ethics every day being the BEPS um, kind of theme for this ethics month. Um, so an everyday learning is, is essential to a student and, and a professional going forward. And also um, that it's kind of a continued building of your personal ethics. So it's it. The PRSA Code of Ethics is there to to help you and guide you, but it's really building your personal ethics. Like like you said in the beginning with, with your parents and your family, you have to learn how it, it fits with you. It's very true because I think when you look at the code, you look at the values and they speak of advocacy, honesty, expertise, independence, loyalty, fairness, those values, those aren't, those aren't foreign to you. Those are actually... Um, very easy to understand. What happens is that you get into environments that change and the situation has different um, ramifications. So you just have, to, how is it that you then make decisions on that? And if you really utilize what is available in the PRSA.org site, they even provide you with ethical um, decision-making models. And one of the, and that may not be the definitive model that you end up using, although the Kathy Fitzpatrick model is very good. But if you have a model to use when you are making business decisions, for example, you talk about the PRSA students, if they have a way that they can just reach out, okay, well, if I have an ethical issue, how do I go about deciding the, the right answer for all the constituencies involved, the audiences, the stakeholders, uh, a model of how to make that decision is extremely helpful. And you modify it as you, as you grow as a, as a professional. Now that we have a basis for the code of ethics, it is time to hear from our next guest, Paula Padin. Paula found herself in a predicament no PR professional wants to be in. 
but she handled the situation and used the code of ethics to back her choice. Alrighty, well, um, Paula, thank you for joining me today on Precision. Um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, could you introduce yourself to our guests? Sure. I'm uh, Paula Bedeen. I'm a public relations practitioner. I have been, um, you know, in that role since about 1991 and uh, really enjoy our field. Uh, I support nonprofits, veterans issues. I'm an advocate for veterans and their health care. Um, I think that's good. <laughs> when our members think about about you and the work that you're doing is, is whistleblowing. Um, so I would love to start there and just talk about um, being a whistleblower, what that means. Um, I feel like that term kind of gets thrown all around and we don't really know what to expect out of it and the sacrifices that you make being a whistleblower. Well, a whistleblower is somebody who comes forward uh, inside an organization typically when they find out that there's some unethical or illegal activities involved. And oftentimes a whistleblower has to report those illegal or unethical activities um, within and outside the organization, depending on how well they get handled. So uh, as a whistleblower, it is, it's kind of a dubious distinction. It's not something I thought I'd ever have to do, but unfortunately I was put in a situation where I needed to do that. And, um, disclose some wrongdoing that was being conducted by my bosses. And it kind of led down a different career path <laughs> that I hadn't, you know, really seen coming. So um, so how did um, doing this and being a whistleblower change the trajectory, trajectory of your career and kind of put you on, a, on that different path? Yeah, so I, it really... Being a, a whistleblower in the um, short term actually decimated my career. I was removed from my public affairs officer position that I had held and, and worked on admirably for 20 years at the Phoenix VA. I, um, you know, was uh, banished to the library where I was not doing any public relations at all and was doing menial tasks such as faxing. Uh, documents, copying documents, uh, logging patients onto the, the computer and off the computer, uh, checking in books, checking out books, not something a typical seasoned public relation practitioner does. So um, I, I'd say in the short term trajectory of my career, it had a very devastating effect. And even after I uh, was able which is rare to obtain settlement through the Office of Special Counsel. Um, it still and and was able to get back into the field of public relations with the Department of Veterans Affairs. It still has um, lingering consequences on myself and on my family. But the good news is, in the end, is that. Some of the people that I had served with on the Public Relations Society of America Western District Board saw what I was going through, saw how I upheld under courage <laughs> and um, nominated me to be PR Pro of the Year. And that um, 
That was really just a blessing that I never saw coming. And I, I can't thank those colleagues in PRSA enough for having the courage to put me in that role and uh, help me kind of get back on track. Could you give our members and PRSA students in general just a little bit of insight into what you might have done differently or even if it went this way and it's been trying on you, why it was worth it? So uh, let's start with what I've done differently uh, or what I would have done uh, differently. Number one is, you know, I'm, I'm a little strong willed. (laughs) People who know me and work with me know that I get an idea and I tend to run with it and push uh, forward on it. And sometimes in an organization, you, you always, I shouldn't say sometimes, you always need to take into account other factors involved and around. So the fact that I had new bosses that came in and uh, wanted to, um, you know, uh, change things. I, I, I will just say they wanted to destroy the program because they did. Um, perhaps had I stepped back and, and said some things differently or done some things differently or not been so attached uh, to what I was doing, it, it might have helped. But in the end, it really, when I look back on it, um, I think there was just a few instances where that would have helped. I, I just think they had me in their sights and there was nothing I could do. And the one thing I wish I would have done differently would have been uh, start protecting myself sooner. So that's kind of number one. Uh, and, and number two, um, so I continue to go through with it because we knew that the, what the management at the Phoenix VA was doing was hurting our nation's veterans. And sometimes in your life, you will have a higher cause. I did not know it at the time uh, when I was at first put in the, the library. Um, it was mostly because of prior disclosures. But what I what happened was because I was in the library and I had access to the patients and I had access to the general staff and I had access to others um, from that position that I wouldn't have had on the sixth floor. Other information was revealed to me, and that's when we found out about the patient wait lists and the uh, long time delays that were happening. So by being in that position uh, of banishment to the library, it really helped a bigger plan And I say it was one that uh, God had me where he needed me to be, uh, you know, because I was able to help stop them uh, from doing what they were doing. I collaborated with Dr. Sam Foote, who was the primary whistleblower, because I I couldn't speak. They had put a gag order on me. Uh, I helped him get in touch with Congressman Jeff Miller, who was chairman of the House Veterans Affairs Committee on Oversight and Investigations. And we worked with his staff to expose the information after all the internal uh, channels failed us. 
So we did, you know, because you never want to air dirty laundry in public. You want to try to keep it. Uh, you want to try to fix things within your own organization first. And I was giving, we were giving VA every single opportunity to do that. And it just kept falling on deaf ears. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that it's a road I would have picked, but in looking back at it over time, I tell people that God had me where he needed me to be to help on a bigger, broader cause. And the other thing we didn't know, Joe, was that what was happening at Phoenix was happening nationwide. So when we, um, you know, when the information on Phoenix finally came out, and uh, um, the IG finally did investigate, the internal IG in, did investigate, they looked, they had to review 111 of the 156 facilities and beyond uh, to see about this uh, waitlist manipulation that was going on. So in, in the end, it really nationally helped our nation's veterans kind of put in and end to at least that one issue uh, for a time being and, and many laws and, uh, you know, regulations have been signed because of it. The Secretary of Veterans Affairs had to resign. The Undersecretary for Health uh, was forced to retire. Um, there was a lot of implications from it. And it's, I, I think in doing it all again, you have to understand from my point of view, um, being a, a woman of faith, is that it's it's really an opportunity to help defend, you know, the truth and do the most right thing and, and bring that honesty and integrity forward that needed to be there for our nation's veterans. Absolutely. And and I remember a quote from the article you have in PR say, um, you talked a lot about integrity, but you also mentioned the beauty of truth and how truth can kind of set this whole thing free. And clearly it made a lot of changes within the nation and veterans affairs that um, was probably for the better and, and was for the better just on this one single act of, of your integrity that, that changed the, uh, the motion of things. So um, I'd love it if you could talk a little bit of that with our members and, and the importance of integrity, your personal integrity, but um, how integrity relates to the beauty of truth and how truth can kind of um, make things better. Well, I think as PR practitioners, that we have an opportunity to be the moral compass of an organization. There is really no one else that is better suited for that role than a public relations practitioner. If you think about it, we're involved or we need to be involved and engaged on all of the relationships that we're building between our internal um, audiences and our external audiences. And, and when you're in that position, you have got to tell the truth because the truth is really truly what matters. You can't be providing false and misleading information. You can't be... Um, you know, um, you can't have a lack of candor. You have to be forthright. You have to, even when you make mistakes, I think this is the hardest part is that organizations will make a mistake and they, they don't own up to it right away. And, and 
I have consistently found, and, and if you watch in the news, you will see that when people make mistakes or when an organization falters and they admit to it, it they really have a better turnaround than when they don't. Because admitting and owning the truth, even when you make a mistake, is critical. I am human. I am not perfect. I have made gazillions of mistakes. And that's part of the learning. We have to learn from that. But I think the important thing is that, you know, you try to do it with the the barometer of truth, the barometer of courage, the barometer of integrity, with... right in front of you all the way. And I, and I have often said the beauty of telling the truth is you, the story never changes. The truth is the truth. It's the same today, yesterday, you know, the 20 years from now. The truth is this. And, you know, whether something happened or you did it or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's how you handle it moving forward that, that makes um you know, all the difference, I think. So hopefully that helps. Um, I think a lot of PRSSA members see people like yourself um, taking stand and telling the truth and sometimes can get a little scared coming into their first jobs and being a new pro. Um, A lot of people think that my boss might look at me and tell me to do something and who am I to stand up for the cause? Who am I as a new professional to make an impact ethically and, and tell the truth? whether that can harm my career or somebody else's career. Um, so if you could speak a little bit on um, courage and why new pros do have a place at the table when it comes to ethics, I think that'd be fantastic. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the, the thing is, uh, if, if a leader is asking you to do something that's uh, a little gray or out of the the realm of honesty and integrity, you really have to assess the situation and say, do I really, I think the very first question you ask is, you know, do I really want to work for an organization that is not honest, open and transparent. Number two, what what is my role? Because I'm here to learn something or I'm here to do something. And you have to ask yourself that tough question. Uh, situations are not presented to us so that we could sidestep them. Because even when we sidestep a decision or a choice or whatever that, that may be a difficult one, we have made a decision. Uh, but it's a learning situation. And you have to ask yourself, what can I learn from this situation? And then I think the third thing you have to do is, is you have to be able to say, no, I can't do that. And here's why. In the PRSA code of ethics, it tells me uh, ABC. And I have sworn in my professional uh, life to uphold those code of ethics. So this is why I can't do this. I hope, you know, you understand or what have you, but you need to be prepared for the consequences of that. Senior leaders, managers in an organization really don't like to be told no. Um, especially when they're doing shady things. They're, they're 
testing you to see if you're going to come to the dark side <laughs> or if you're going to, you know, stay on the side of the Jedi Knights. It's really, it's, I mean, there's no better correlation than Star Wars. <laughs> None. Because look at how many people are, are stormtroopers. There's, you know, millions of them. And how few are the Jedi Knights? So you have to decide, do you want to be in the elite club that's doing the most right thing? Or do you, you know, <laughs> are you going to fall to the wayside out of fear or I need this job or I need whatever? And I think the other thing that people need to do as practitioners is always have a side gig, whether it be your own business that you have or even, you know, it, does, it takes nothing to go down to the, the corporation commission and file, you know, the, the Joe Denae consulting firm, public relations consulting firm. And, um, you know, and, and just have something so that you can fall back on and be sure that you're saving money. Uh, don't, you know, don't live paycheck to che paycheck. Be sure that you're saving money. You need to have, uh, I, I like to follow the tenants of Dave Ramsey on that. You know, you need to have an emergency fund of $1,000 for things that pop up. And then once you have that, then you need to have a savings of three to six months uh, for your livelihood so that if you're ever in a situation where management comes in, asks you to do something unethical, or the corporation changes and you're out on the street, you have a backup plan. So that savings and that um, being wise with your finances isn't something that is just here and yon. It is something that you need to do every day. And it could be something as simple as giving up a Starbucks one or two days a week and taking that money and putting it into your savings account. So those are some of the things. Yeah, you know, just uh, having something, saving money, being wise with who you work for, looking at the ethics of an organization when you're out there, you know, starting your career because you, you've trained for this field, understanding our ethical codes, why, why they are there. They have been there since the start of our association. And, you know, we know, I mean, evil isn't something that's new. It's been around forever. <laughs> so, but aligning yourself with the Jedi Knights of the world is where you want to be. I love that analogy. That That is perfect, spot on. What's better than Star Wars? It's fantastic. Being a whistleblower is not a simple task, but with the code of ethics and colleagues to back her up, Paula Padin was able to overcome her ethical dilemma. Now back to the show with our next guest, Nance Larson. Great. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for having me today. Um, my name is Nance Larson, APR Fellow, PRSA. I've uh, been a longtime member of PRSA, gosh, over uh, 25 years now, and has been privileged to work on a number of different types of committees and um, integrate and, and work with people from all different types of industries and experience. And it's really been a very enriching um, opportunity for me personally and professionally. Um, I do consider myself a generalist in the public relations field. Um, I've had the privilege of working in a number of different, uh, very diverse categories from tourism to mining to transportation. Uh, so it's really given me a broad view of how communication tools and public relations tools are used across a very wide 
uh, range of industries and how they can be applied each of those to be effective. So today we're talking ethics specifically, and I know you consider yourself a generalist, but you sit on the Board of Ethics and Professional Standards, the BEPS board. Um, could you talk about your involvement with BEPS a little bit and how you help aid um, the Board of Ethics? So BEPS has been a fascinating dive into the world of ethics. Um, I was um, excited to be asked to join that particular group because I do think it's representative of a particular level of expertise that each individual member brings to that uh, specific board. Uh, most of the representatives on BEPS are fellows, so their level of experience is extensive. Um, it does cover um, multiple industries and um, certainly uh, multiple types of experiences that they really are very generous about sharing um, with one another. But it really brings a, a certain flavor to the table when we're discussing an issue. Um, I first joined BEPS uh, back in um, 2013, uh, secretary for six years, and then uh, I chaired the Board of Ethics for three. And it really is our charter to um, promote uh, use of the code of ethics in day-to-day -day practice. Um, how do ethical decisions and how does the process of ethical decision-making impact um, a professional's day-to-day -day activities? Um, how do you apply that into the job that each one of us are assigned to do? Um, but I think that the thing that is most beneficial is that, um, that base of experience. Our discussions are very lively. Um, it's fascinating to hear about the experiences that other people have had and, and how they have used the code to help guide them through uh, at times some, some rather difficult decision making um, or difficult circumstances, crisis communication. Uh, it really is a fascinating group of people that I learn from every time that we come together or that there's a call. Uh, there's always something that somebody brings to the table that is thought provoking. Um, and the dialogue and the discussion is just always really interesting. So um, we're, we are there uh, as a group to talk about uh, ethics, to look at things that are taking place um, uh, in the world of public relations and see um, how we might be able to provide our experience um, as practitioners to the broader membership and, and where we can relate those to circumstances going on in the world today all the better. Um, but really, is, it is about uh, sharing experiences and really getting um, face time or elevating the discussion about ethics um, into your day-to-day -day practice. Yeah, and that day-to-day -day point is really a big hit this year with BEPS, with the Ethics Month theme of Ethics Every Day. Um, kind of talking that everyday education about ethical principles and values um, and the code of ethics. Um, so I, I'm glad you brought that point up. Um, but back to the code of ethics. Um, oh, go ahead, Nance. Well, I just wanted to add that I, you know I think that that's one of the things that's probably the most important that I've learned along the road in, in my career in that you know, ethics, ethics is not something that you practice just uh, once a month in September. Um, it might be celebrated for PRSA at that month, um, but ethics is really something that you need to apply every day. Um, it's something that you do need to learn or choose to integrate into your conversations. It's something that you need to uh, make a conscious decision uh, that you are going to look at different perspectives to bring that into your day-to-day your -day working environment. And I think that that's probably one of the, the greatest lessons that I've learned from my mentors uh, is the importance of doing that. Ethics is not something that you practice just when you need to or in an emergency. 
it really is something that you need to think about applying every day to the things that you do, um, from the most mundane to the more critical tasks uh, that you might be performing. Um, it really needs to be always part of that conversation, and I, I can't stress that enough um, as someone moving through uh, public relations field to, to make that a point of, of how you operate from a day-to-day -day standpoint. And I know one of the biggest ways that we try to push that is through the code of ethics and especially to students trying to get them to trying to get all of us PRSSA students to embrace the code and learn the values and implement them into our daily um, practices and, and tactics and everything that we use uh, in school, out of school, as new professionals. Um, so I guess if you were to give a PRSSA student one thing they should take away from the code of ethics, what would that be? Well, I think as I stated earlier, it really is a guiding principle. It's there to reference, it's there to, um, as, a, as a, a check and balance for the activities that you might be undertaking. I think that probably the, it's hard to pick just one aspect of the code because they're, they are all so interrelated. Um, honesty, for example, I think it is uh, certainly one of the most critical, but that relates to advocacy, it relates to fairness. So they're all intertwined in some way. Uh, so it's difficult to pick just one, but I suppose I would start there because of the ways that it relates to all the other uh, areas of uh, the provisions and the values. So this is a question that we asked um, on the 16th of September uh, to all of our members during our Twitter chat, um, which was what ethical, the code of ethics value or provision resonated with you most and how has it had your back throughout the years uh, in the industry? Um, so if you wouldn't mind just giving us uh, your favorite provision or value, I think everyone would appreciate it. Yeah, I think I would have to really go back to honesty. Uh, I think that um, there's certainly been circumstances throughout my career where uh, that particular word has really guided decisions that I have had to make. Uh, in some cases, difficult ethical decisions, um, but it was simply um, a, a matter of, is this the right thing to do? Is it honest? Is it fair? Is it transparent? Um, and I think that that's something that really resonates in a lot of circumstances. So, so for me, that would be the single most important provision um, or, or value, excuse me. I think from a provisional standpoint, um, Disclosure is one that I think is often uh, maybe not evaluated fully um, in its intent, uh, but it really is important when you're talking about um, building relationships and, and trying to create an informed public, which is what we are all charted to do. Um, but that disclosure of information, that really helps that process. It's part of a democratic society. Um, it's part of how we decipher information. Uh, so I really think that those two combined are the things that, from my perspective, I think have been most influential in my career. Ethics and, and technology kind of bring this whole new um, monster and, and rears its ugly head sometimes on, on social media. So how can new professionals PRC students, even current professionals who have been in the industry for 20 years, um, refocus on their eth ethical education and their ethical teachings um, as it comes to social media and digital media? Well, I think um, it, it, it certainly is applicable 
in the digital world right now and perhaps more challenging because of the speed and nature of a 24-7 media cycle. But I, I think this really applies across the board. Um, you really do need to think about disclosure and how that might impact uh, the type of material that you're moving forward. Have you done adequate research um, to make sure that the information that you're putting out is, is honest and truthful, transparent, um, and fair? Um, I have a set of questions that I ask, and I, I ask these not just in the digital uh, platform, but in other aspects as well. But you know, consider whether or not the information that you're putting out um, uh, is it will it do no harm? Um, what are the ramifications that might occur? Um, is this something that will benefit the public? I mean, we have a responsibility for building relationships with our audience, so. Um, is this something that will benefit that and that will aid in the decision-making process? Um, those are things that, that are obviously, uh, those are pulled directly right out of the code, but those are common sense questions that I think are helpful to ask uh, when uh, you're looking at any kind of digital platform, um, any kind of information that you want to be putting out. Does this fit this criteria? Does this meet this threshold? Um, that's going to help you be honest Transparent. It still allows you to um, uh, advocate with expertise, uh, but it keeps it at a fair level. Um, I think it's very easy sometimes, because of the speed of social media, to uh, make a quick decision and, and not have a gut check, not stop and ask yourself these questions, which really don't take very long. Um, and they really are an easy way to guide whether or not this is something that should be moved Well, that's all the time we have for this month's Precision Podcast. Thank you to BJ, Paula, and Nance for joining us this month. Join us next time on Precision, where we will talk about technology and PR, how PRSSA members and new professionals can put tech into practice and make a splash early in their careers. Talk to you soon, PRSSA members.